Last week we asked a question, and it's kind of what we're beginning the year by asking, and it's this one, what could I do without in 2020 that would do me some good? Um, Probably all of us, as you have um, worked your way through the first couple of weeks of a new year, there are probably lots of things that you would say, you know what, that habit, that thing, that trait in my life, that thing, whatever it is, um, if I was to do without that, my life would be better, it would do me better. And so last week, uh, we introduced this, this theme with the idea of self-reliance. Now, not a, not a healthy self-reliance where you take care of yourself and you maintain a lot of those things, but we kind of emphasize that, that there can be a spiritual self-reliance in which my posture before God is one of very much a stiff arm, where God, I, I've got it. I, I don't need your help. I, I can do all the things, even the good things that God calls us to do. I don't try to do them without his help, without leaning upon him, without trying to stand in him as we sang of earlier. And so we use this picture of a tree um, that uh, really th- th- we've got to be a people who have roots, that we've got to pause and, and open our life up to allow the roots of our lives to reach in to the love, to the grace, to the truth, uh, to the person that is God. And, uh, and so we introduced that last week about an unhealthy self-reliance that, that if we were to do without that in our lives, we would be all much better off for it. And so today I want to look at a, a second thing that kind of goes with it. It's this idea. What if there was less selfishness in your life or in my life? Um, if, if that was true, if there was less selfishness in just my relationships, if I was less selfish in my marriage or in my family or in friendships or wherever it may be, there would probably be more of me that I really like because selfishness doesn't usually bring out the best in us, if we're honest, right? So I want to show you this little video. It's only about 12 seconds. Actually, I'm going to show it to you twice. There's no sound to it. Um, I just want you to watch this. The guy that you're going to see in the red hat somehow has lost his shoe in the water, and he's trying to fish it back uh, to the shore, okay? So watch this, if you would, okay? Okay. Now, I want you to watch that again, because it had to take me a couple times. Just watch. He's a helpful friend, but he's not that helpful. Watch him, okay? Do it again. There you go. All right. Now, I think he's trying to be selfless there, right? I'll get in the water. I'll get your stick for you. Um, but that doesn't fix it, right? So we all have friends like that. We have people. Maybe we are that friend. I don't know. I'll get your stick, but I'm not going to get your shoe for you. Um, that just made me laugh because I think oftentimes he means well. He's helpful. He's, he's trying to be a helpful friend. Um, and I think for me, um, the less and less selfish I become, um, in all of those key relationships, in all of those key things that we face in life, um, the better husband I am, the better friend I am, the better dad I am, the better person I am. And I like the person in the mirror that is less selfish. And so less selfishness in our life would probably do us all a little better. And so let me contrast it these ways. Last week we talked about the idea of being self-sufficient. That self-sufficient says I can and will do it myself, right? Now that can be a negative thing or I can even say that to God that I'm going to do all these, I'm going to try to be a good Christian by myself without your help in my life. And so we kind of dealt with that. But today I want us to think about this. It's kind of similar, but it's different. I can and will do it for myself. Now, self-sufficiency can have a very healthy and good dynamic to it, but selfishness rarely has a healthy dynamic to it. It doesn't do much to help anybody else because selfishness really just 
takes it all for me, looks at it all about how is it going to help me, build me, um, be good for me. And so selfishness is one of those things that we would all be better off with less of in our life. And the scripture is clear on that. You walk through the Bible and throughout its pages, um, both through example and through teaching, it's always trying to nudge us in the direction of less selfishness in our life. For example, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1 says this, An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Now that's a nice verse, but I love the way the message uh, paraphrase kind of says this. I love the phrase in this at least. That loners who care only for themselves spit on the common good, right? If I was to leave a phrase, what does selfishness do? It spits on the common good, all right? There's a, there's a picture, I think, that if you want to think, well, what's the motivation for me to be less selfish? It's because every time I'm selfish in my marriage, I spit on the common good that this marriage could have, or my family, or my workplace, or my church, or my neighborhood, or my community, wherever it may be. And just that picture of the audacity of spitting on what could be good, but because I do that, because it's only about me. And so selfishness never produces good things. The book of James echoes that in James chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 13. James gives us this contrast in this passage about good wisdom, uh, earthly wisdom, excuse me, and godly wisdom. And in contrasting these things, selfishness becomes this issue. Selfish ambition is the word that it uses. Listen to what James says in James chapter 3 and 13, verse following. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And then he goes on to contrast the other side of that. What's the opposite of this good wisdom that James is talking about? Verse 14 says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and do not deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, is unspiritual, is demonic. Um, and so James warns us that there's this, this selfishness that can just set in that makes it all about me and what I want and how it's going to serve me, please me, enhance me. Um, and he goes on and finishes it in verse 16. For wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, what follows that? What's the fruit of that? There you will find disorder and every evil practice. So if you were to look through all the ills of our world's Go through your newspaper, your, um, your internet feed for a few days, and just pick out all the things that are ugly, cruel, mean, barbaric, on, on the list goes. Behind that, James is making the case that there is selfishness. Somebody is trying to take advantage of somebody else. And so when selfishness is my driving motivation, I'm always going to hurt other people in the process. Because what am I doing according to the Proverbs verse we looked at? I'm spitting on what's good for everybody. I just want what's good for me. And so there is a unhealthy place that we can live in that James warns us about. But James doesn't stop there. He goes on to give us the flip side of that in verse 17. But he says the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, it is peace-loving, it is considerate, it is submissive, it is full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. 
And so do you see the opposite of that? This isn't a person, this isn't a trait that's going to spit on the common good. This is one that's going to seek the common good. What is good for not just me, but what is good for everybody, as many people as we can bless. There's this heart that longs to think of other people and what they think or what they need. It's submissive if it, if it helps. If it, it's full of mercy. It's full of good fruit. It loves peace. And so there's this beautiful picture of this contrast of, of the version of me that is less selfish and the fruit that comes from it. But I was noticing if you were to go back and take your Bible way back when it was originally written, it didn't have chapter markings and verses in it. And so if you were to go to the very next thing that James writes in chapter 4, remove the, remove the, uh, um, uh, the chapter title and just go into the next verse, he goes back to the idea of, of the unhealthiness of selfishness when he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, well, what is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What I want, right? You desire. I want it. I'm selfish. I want to do what I want. I want what I ha- want, want to have what I want, but you do not have it, and so you kill. Again, I don't care what happens to you. I just want what I want. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask of God. And so he warns us about this trait, and he gives us these pictures of, of this unhealthy approach of selfishness. And I probably didn't have to read those verses to tell you that, that the lesser version of you is the selfish version of you, that the better version of you is the unselfish version of you. It's the one that gives, it's the one that's kind, one that's merciful, uh, full of consideration for other people's thoughts, feelings, wants, needs, all those kind of things. And so the selfish version of me is not a very good version of me, regardless of what context in my life I look to. But God, in this new work that he is doing in us in Christ, is always trying to lead us from this selfishness to unselfishness. And so I think we're always trying to grow in that process. We got a glimpse of that a few months ago when we walked through the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And remember that context, Paul is talking about the old person we should take off and do away with and the new person that we should put on and embrace. And in the midst of that, uh, Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 when he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work, doing something useful with their own hands. There's that self-sufficiency thing in a healthy way, right? But then he goes on to add this, that they may have something to share with those in need. He says, hey, quit living your life as if just anything you can get your hands on, you can, you can finagle to walk out of and have, that's selfish. But instead, do something with your life, with your hands, with your skills, that not only produces good for you, but unselfishly, you can help other people. You can do something to help other people around you as you consider their needs and you see things going on around you. Paul is, all, is, is just elaborating and unpacking how he is calling us from the selfish perspective to this unselfish perspective in our life. And so how do we make that switch? How do we decrease our level of selfishness and, and grow unselfishness? Well, that's a good question. And in fact, that switch is very much at the heart of, I think, the questions 
that you ask of yourself, and you ask of life, and you ask sometimes of God. And so I want us to think about how questions, the questions that, that we rehearse in our mind, that, and that we make decisions based off of, those questions, I think, oftentimes lead us either towards selfishness or towards unselfishness. And I want to illustrate that, illustrate that by looking in Luke chapter 12 at a parable, a story that Jesus told. Um, and then this story, it's a, it's a brief little story. The greater context of it is there's two guys, two brothers, I think, that are wrestling with uh, selfishness because one brother comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, um, my brother, you need to tell him to share the inheritance with me, share that with me, because he's got it and I want it, and, and they're having a sibling rivalry, right? That never happens in our world. Uh, the sibling rivalry where, where they're arguing about, well, he's got it, I want it, it's not fair, all those kind of things that happen in in those kind of situations. And so Jesus warns them about greed, uh, about uh, all these things that greed can do terrible things to your heart because greed and selfishness go hand in hand. But then Jesus tells them this parable beginning in chapter 12, verse 16, where he says this, and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, here's our question. This question, it's a small four words in English at least, um, but it's powerful, right? It says, what shall I do? What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. But, but the question, I think, is important because I think that little sentence, it raises three things, three words that maybe, that behind that question are three things that I think all of us, whenever you and I are faced with decisions, whenever we find ourselves, maybe you didn't have a bumper crop when you're deciding to build bigger barns, but, but I think it raises three words. I think it helps us to recognize opportunities. Every day you get up and you go to work, you go to school, you go wherever you go, do whatever you do, it's a new day and that day brings opportunities just like this guy. And you're asking yourself, maybe not verbally or intentionally, but in your mind you're thinking, what should I do? Here's an opportunity. All right, let's just say 10 bucks, somebody dropped 10 bucks on the way out of church, um, and you find this $10 bill, and you, your mind is going to ask the question, there's a $10 bill, what should I do? All right, now what's the right answer? You're in church now, right? I'm going to give that to Jesus, right? That's the right answer. Now, but uh, maybe you're thinking, Subway's on me today, kids. I don't know, you can't buy Subway for 10 bucks. McDonald's Happy Meals are on me for 10 bucks. How about that? Uh, but there's that, there's, that, but that, there's that decision that you make. There's an opportunity that finding a $10 bill provides to you, and you go through the mental gymnastics of there's an opportunity here. Now, how do I know if that decision goes towards selfishness or, or, or unselfishness? I think a second word, there's opportunity, but it also, those opportunities reveal my priorities, my priorities, because I go from, okay, there's an opportunity, my decision about what to do with that $10 bill has a great deal to do with my priorities, Right? If I want to go help somebody, if I'm, I'm, I've been looking and thinking, oh, my neighbor's got a need, I, that $10 could help them. Or if my priority is, I'm really hungry for fast food, that feeds my desire. Now, there's nothing wrong with fast food. Yes, there is. But there's, I'm not trying to be down on that. There's lots wrong with fast food. Um, but um, get, go, go with me on that, okay? But there's opportunity, and that opportunity and how I think about the question, what shall I do? reveals my priorities. What do I want to happen? 
And the reason I have those priorities is the third word that I think, um, and I don't know if this is really a word or not, but I'm going to say it because it fits my little th- acronym here, but, but sovereignties, sovereignties. In other words, who's ruling over your life? Who's ruling over my thinking, my wants, my desires, my wishes? You see, that opportunity gives me a chance to demonstrate what is a priority to me, and that priority is set by who's ruling Who's the sovereign over my life? And so if selfishness is the thing that's driving my life, if, if the sovereign over my life making all decisions is me, then my priority for that opportunity um, is going to funnel in the direction of what makes me happy, what serves me best, what gives me the best uh, thing out of this. It puts me at the center of it. Versus... If Jesus is the sovereignty over my life, then all of a sudden my priorities and that opportunity may lead me to do something different with that. And so as I look at those three words of opportunities and priorities and the sovereignties, I want you to listen to the rest of this story that Jesus tells because he asked the question, well, what shall I do? I have this incredible opportunity But what you're going to see as you keep reading is that you find out quickly what his priorities are, and the reason he has those priorities is because of the sovereignty he has over his life, and and you're going to very quickly, there's one, there's a pronoun in there that keeps showing up that shows you who the sovereignty over his life is, and it isn't the Lord, all right? I'll give you that clue. Listen to what it goes on to say, verse 18, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build bigger ones, and there I will store up surplus grain, and I will say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, so take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then you will get what you have prepared, then who will get, excuse me, what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be, Jesus said, as he kind of summarizes this. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves. In other words, selfishness is at the root of everything they're doing, but is not rich towards God. There's an unselfishness that he's trying to to grow. And so opportunities every day, and I'm not just talking about money, uh, there are time opportunities, there are relationship opportunities, there are service opportunities. There are all kinds of opportunities that come your way and my way. And so what I do in those moments of opportunity is going to be dictated by my priorities, and my priorities are going to be led by really who is the sovereign, who is the ruler, who is the leader over my life. And so our goal, if I'm going to move in the direction from selfishness to unselfishness, is I have to learn to allow the Lord to be really sovereign over this opportunity in my life. And we oftentimes think in big terms with that, but I think that is very much a moment-by-moment thing in our life when it really comes down to it. Um, And so I just want you to note two things here. I want you to note, number one, the power of a good question because that, if you were to look at that whole passage that we just read that Jesus told in that story, the question, what shall I do, is not really a big, beefy part of that text, but it's really crucial, right? Because everything that happens after it determined, is determined by that question, what shall I do with this opportunity? And all of a sudden, 
His priorities are revealed because show who's, who's really in charge of his life. It's himself. He's just building for himself so he's comfortable, so he's happy, so he's got plenty. And he's not ever giving thought to maybe I, I could bless someone else through this. And um, that's another sermon for the day. But I just want you to highlight and see the beauty and the power of a good question. Because if you're going to move from selfish to unselfish, I think we have to ask ourselves good questions about the opportunities that we face, right? For many years, um, the little question, the little bracelets and jewelry, the WWJD statements, right? well, what's the question, right? What would Jesus do, right? That's a question that's meant to try to lead you to, in a certain direction, what would Jesus do in this opportunity? If he was standing here, what might he do in this situation? Um, and so we ask ourselves good questions, I think, and, and when doing so, I think they lead us down a path. If we're asking good, godly questions, they're going to lead us down a path that is going to take us from selfishness to unselfishness. And so in that moment, with that little question, that farmer stood at a crossroads, he stood at a fork, and he made a decision. He made a decision to go in the direction of self versus what Jesus is warning them in that passage. Both brothers, look to the one that's unselfish. Look down the other path. And so just think with me. I just want you to begin to think about the questions that you ask. I want you to see opportunities as they come your way. Um, and do you make, do you always, again, we can't do, self-care, boundaries, all those things are good and healthy things. That's that whole self-reliance conversation from last week. So I'm not saying we always are going to go this route, but, but yesterday I, I got the opportunity to drive back from um, Jeff City to Eldon during the middle of that snowstorm thing yesterday. And so we're cruising along 40 miles an hour and just a lot of fun. And, uh, but it's just people off in the ditch and you think, man, someone's in the ditch. There's an opportunity there, right? Now, that doesn't mean I always have to stop. There's other circumstances, but, but it's my inclination. At least do I think through the opportunity. There's an opportunity here to demonstrate a godly priority and to show that Jesus is in charge of my life by pausing, giving time to stop and help somebody, or, or giving uh, physical help to change a tire, or those kinds of things. It's just every day, you and I are given opportunities to display kingdom priorities that really reveal that Jesus is leading and in charge of our life, okay? And so good questions, I think, help us lead us in that direction. And here's just a little side note. This is not, this is a separate sermon. Um, actually, it's a bunch of separate sermons. Um, I came across a list and I was searching. Somebody had compiled a list of, I put this, I think there's another little side note here, the little two little stars. When Jesus asked a question in the Bible, pay attention to it. Um, someone compiled, this is a list of 100 questions from the Gospels that Jesus asked. And one of the best things that Jesus did as a teacher was he didn't answer questions, he asked questions. Now, if you ever have a teacher like that, that is the most frustrating thing. You go to your parents and say, hey, can I have some chocolate cake? I don't know. Should you have chocolate cake right now? That's an annoying answer. Yes or no? I want cake, all right? Of course I can have cake. And so, but, but when someone comes back at you with a question versus an answer, what are they trying to do? They're trying to get you to think, right? What? Th go deeper here. I could give you the answer here, but I want you to think down here. 
And so this is a hundred different things. I found them. If you want them later, I can email them to you or share it. They're just helpful things that if you were to just stop, and, and these are just listed question by question. There's a hundred of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. I will have you home before the Chiefs game starts, I promise. And so um, the, I just want to list two or three or four of them, though. Well, just this question by itself. Jesus asked the question, if I was to read this question, pause on it, think about it, and all of a sudden it begins to reveal a lot of things going on in my heart. Jesus asked the question in Matthew 6, can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan? I just read that question and thought about that question. It's like, man, that gets, gets deeper to the heart of, man, well, then why, why am I worrying? Why, why do I worry? What, what is it that's driving that worry? How about this question? Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, yet fail to perceive the wooden beam or the log in your own eye? Just wrestling with that question, meditating on that question. That's a helpful thing. How about this? Um, how many loaves do you have? Jesus wants to ask a little boy that, or ask his disciples that. How many loaves do you have? If you go back and read that story in Matthew 15, it's the feeding of the 5,000, and, and there's a little boy. He's got two loaves and five fish, is that right? Two loaves, five fish, got nothing. Not, not much in light of a great big challenge. But again, Jesus is asking questions because it makes you think, well, I have nothing, but he has a lot. It just makes you think and processes your faith. And how about this? But who do you say I am? Jesus asked in Matthew 16. Or one last one, Matthew 19. Somebody mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think, in a meditation. I liked it. But why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus, somebody came up and said, Jesus, good teacher. And they said, well, what do you call me good for? Only one is good. And Jesus is asking that question not to deny that he's God, but he's causing him to stop. Well, well, why would I call him good? And making me think, well, who is this guy, right? It's just driving us deeper. And so I just found that to be helpful to me, that when Jesus asks a question, you should probably pause. When you ever see a question mark in red letters in your Bible, pause there long enough. Don't skip past it. Listen to it, because when Jesus asks a question, even the, quest, the simple question is story, what should I do? He's causing us to pause and to think, well, what should I do? In light of the truth, if I, in light of the truth that I want Jesus to be the sovereign, to be the Lord of my life, and I want my life to communicate kingdom priorities, and I want people to see that, and, and I want that to grow in my life, then what should I do? His sovereignty affects my priorities, which deals with how I handle my opportunities, okay? And so questions are important in that process. And so they are very powerful. And last but not least, we'll finish with this, number two. The final thing is this. So if I'm going to move from, the, from, from selfishness in my life to unselfishness, I, I, I have to just realize that the journey travels on the path of good questions. And so two questions that I, I, I made and I came up with and I did not... Earth science, rocket science, I don't, earth science, rocket science is harder, right? They're not rocket science, probably earth science is where I'm dealing with more. I know worms and dirt, um, but they're not rocket science, how about that? They're simple things, but they're things that we often forget, but when I stop and I really think about them, they begin to soften my heart, and they create in my heart a situation where maybe unselfishness has a chance to grow and bloom in my life. The two questions are these. Number one, how has God blessed me? How has God blessed me? An unselfish person probably thinks about that question on a regular basis. A person who chooses to go the path of unselfishness regularly thinks, man, I'm going to go this way because look how good God has been to me. Look at what he's done for me. 
Look at how he has loved me in spite of all this. Look at how he has showered me with undeserved love and gifts, opportunities, relationships, and on and on. I'm given grace and new mercies and new chances every day. I'm gifted with things to be able to serve and do things for God in this world. And so I think a person who's journeying on the path from selfishness to unselfishness understands that they are blessed, understand that they are loved. They understand that they have been gifted and surrounded by God in many ways. And so they ask that question, how has God blessed me? And that leads then to a logical question here. If God has blessed me, the second one is simply this. How can I bless someone else? How can I turn around and just do the same thing that God has done to me in someone else's life? And if I'm asking those questions and all of a sudden an opportunity comes before me, it's an opportunity maybe in my, it could be any, any relational context, right? Your home, your family, your marriage, workplace, it could be anywhere. All of a sudden, if I'm a person who has been meditating upon, well, how has God blessed me and what can I do in this opportunity to pour back some of what God has done for me into someone else's life, then how can I bless someone else in this opportunity? And that's how that sovereignty thing affects our priorities, which affects how we handle those opportunities. I have this little acronym. I've shared it with you before. I come back to it. I'd like to look at the beginning of a year. I think it's by David Ferguson several years ago, Five Ways to Bless Someone. And I love the practicality of this little acronym um, that I think if a group of people would just commit to do this, um, just the wonderful things that would happen in their individual lives. But he used the acronym of this is how we're going to bless people. And here's the plan to do it. Um, and he starts with the letter B. That it begins his day with prayer, that you pray for the people in your life and the places that you're in. That begins to open up that whole idea, okay, God, today, there's going to be people I'm going to meet, there's going to be places I go, there's going to be things I do in the course of my life, school, day, work, whatever it may be, and God, I don't want to face those and see those opportunities with just a rushed, hurried mind. I, I want to calm down, slow, slow down long enough to see that, man, you're going to be in some of those places, the letter L stands for listen. I will listen to and discover the needs of others in the places where God is at work. What are we guilty of, most of us, is we're just so busy, we are so stressed, we are so in such a hurry that we don't listen to very well to people. And sometimes those people are very, very close to us um, in our homes. We're not listening very well. And yet, if I begin with prayer, God, help me today to listen well. Because those opportunities oftentimes come in the form of someone talking about, this is where my life's at. This is a need I have. Here's a struggle I have. Here's a place where my life is just going through a rough patch. And we listen. We eat. Everybody likes to eat, right? Um, um, we eat with people, but what do meals do? Jesus is always eating meals with people. Um, in fact, particularly people who need what Jesus has. There's something beautiful about sharing a meal, and I wouldn't allow you to insert, go have a Coke or go have a coffee in that spot, okay? It's that, it's that act of sitting down long enough where listening happens, where dialogue happens, where relationship happens. And the, the first letter S is serve. As I listen and as we eat and as I share over relationship and those contexts as it grows, 
I will respond to the needs of others and help them in practical and and impactful, not impractical, impactful ways. I will look for, hey, I heard them say this. I know something that can help with that. I know someone that can help with that. And I will serve them. And the last, last letter S is story. I will share the story of Jesus and what he is doing in my life with others. That I will simply share, this is where God is helping me with this. And it doesn't have to be some fancy formula. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. Uh, but oftentimes it's just, hey, this is where God is walking with me. And as I walk with you in this part of your life and this thing I see, um, I'd just like, to know, I'd like for you to know that Jesus can help with that. Jesus cares about that. And, and I'd like to talk with you about how he's working in my life. And I love the simplicity of that because every one of you, whether you are five years old or you are 100 years old, you can do that because you're gonna meet people and there's an opportunity in that moment that's gonna come. And our goal, again, is that the sovereignty of Jesus will affect our priorities and how we, we deal with that opportunity. And I think this is simply a little way that we can, uh, a formula that we can use to say, hey, what can I do here? What should I do in this opportunity? And so that's the question I just want you to think about today. The good questions oftentimes lead us from selfishness to unselfishness. And so may we ask them well. And so as we finish here today, um, I just want you to think with me and kind of process this question. Um, what should I do? That is a beautiful question to be asked, should be asked a lot of times in our life, Right? That question is a good one to start your day with on a regular basis. What's the next thing that God is calling and inviting you to? Maybe it's just that come meet with me on a regular basis. Um, quit being so self-sufficient. Come meet with me. That's maybe what he's calling you to do. Maybe that's your step that you need to commit to. Maybe it's you've just been kind of pushing Jesus off and, and you need to really put your faith and your trust in him and you learn to listen to him and engage him and find out his ways. Maybe he's been convicting you about, boy, Lord, my, I, I need to repent over some things in my life that I'm broken, that I'm resisting you in, and I need to, I need to embrace that, that gift of repentance so that I can be right with you, that I can be right with others. Maybe it's looking to say, hey, I need to be more intentional about just my daily life. I need to learn to, to bless people. Maybe it's being baptized into Christ. Maybe it's committing to uh, serving in God in some way. It could be a dozen different things. God is always working to lead us to another step of following him, of knowing him, of growing in him in our life. And so um, as we pray today, I just ask that you would listen well, that um, you would hear God and that you would respond to what he is inviting you towards.